So I'm living on the street, and then I was gang raped. A lady had found me on the side of a dumpster. I was a bloody mess. I was gang raped by five guys. Real life starts now. This is Real Life Radio Show with On Leg. I felt alone. I felt lost. I felt scared. Real stories. I was so desperate in living such a dark and callous life. Real people. I was thinking there was no purpose for my life. There was no reason for me to be here. Real problems. I told my dad, if you try to take these drugs, I'm going to kill you. One solution, God. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And now your host, On Leg. Hi, this is Evangelist On Lay. Welcome to the Real Life Radio Show. We're going to talk to real people who had real problems, but found answers in a real God. Now, lately, we've been talking about the reality of sexual abuse victims and the struggles that they go through. Listener discretion is advised as the contents of this show is intended for a mature audience only. Is there any hope for healing for those who have gone through sexual abuse? Well, there is. And faith in Christ can truly play a huge, impactful role in that. In our last show, we had Ira Warren share with us how, since she was a young girl, she was being molested and sexually abused by her own father. She shared how her father would tell her that the sexual abuse was normal and that it was a sign that he truly loved her. Now, she told us how her grandpa was a pastor and was unaware of the abuse. But when he did find out, he began to do a work to get her away from her abuser. But there was a moment where she was impregnated by her own father. And what was secret was now becoming a huge issue. Ira, welcome back to the show. Yes, I'm so glad to be back. (laughs) Yes, Ira, I'm so glad you're back as well. Let me ask you, when you found out you were pregnant, you were about seven months pregnant already, and your mom found out that your father was a father of the baby as well. How did she respond to the situation? Well, she wanted me to have an abortion, but the doctors at the time, they said, listen, you know, it's not like she's at the beginning stages of the pregnancy. There is no way that she could get an abortion. I didn't want to get an abortion because, you know, at 16 years old, I knew it was a sin to murder a child. Mm. But my dad, he stepped in and said, no, I want her to keep the baby. My mom, she was pretty livid. She didn't want me to. But needless to say, they didn't have a choice in the matter anyway because it was reported. So I was taken out of the home, and I was put in a group home with other girls that were pregnant. But our situations were totally different. Mine was just, you know, it blew some of the girls away when they found out what happened to me, you know, in this group home. So I stayed there until Joshua was born. Oh my gosh, what a sudden turn of events for a young 16-year-old. But at least you weren't getting sexually abused anymore by your father. But then how did you respond to all the trauma of what was going on? I was very scared. I mean, I was into cutting. I did a lot of cutting when I was a teenager because I didn't know how to channel all the pain and the guilt, the shame. And I was just in denial because this may sound weird, but I felt like I had betrayed my dad. Right. It's weird to say that because it's almost like, you know, I didn't want to be taken out of home. I didn't want dad to be in trouble. But in the early 80s, things were kind of swept under the rug. You know, my dad ended up just getting counseling after all of what had happened. Um, He didn't go to prison or anything. But, you know, I'm going through all of this pain and this hurt. You know, I didn't even want to exist here in the land of the living. I just didn't want to be. So they had to keep a watch on me when I was in the group home because I was cutting. Wow. I am sure that all felt so unjust. I'm sure that all was so confusing to you as a young girl. Now explain to us why the cutting was a choice to do. Why do you think you did that at this time? 
it just relieved the pain. It took my focus off what was going on and in my mind and my heart. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a person that go and do drugs or they drink and it just lasts for a moment, but then the issue is still there. And I knew exactly where to cut. I knew places I needed to cut, you know, to really just take myself out of here. But then when I would feel this baby kick inside of me, I was like, this is a whole life. You know, here it is. I'm 16, a kid raising a kid, you know. So it was just that. Gosh, that means you were in so much internal turmoil that physical pain made you feel better. This is horrible. And my heart goes out to anyone who's caught in their own turmoil like this. But if that wasn't enough, I understand your life and life choices got even worse from there. What happened when you were 17? Well, at the age of 17, I had had Joshua, and they had put me in my own apartment. And I had a boyfriend, and things didn't work out between us. So I was just going through this thing of promiscuity, pretty much. Just wanting someone to love me. And then I met this other guy and just said, okay, you know, you want to take care of me? He's like, yeah, I want to be with you, da-da-da. So I get pregnant by this guy. And my mom asked me, could I come back home, you know, just to build our relationship? And me not having the spirit of discernment, I just said yes. And so at this time, Joshua was two. He had just turned two. And William, he wasn't even one yet. And I was pregnant with Eric at the time when I had moved back in. And so I remember when I first got there, she said, well, you know, we're going to build our relationship and we're going to just start from here. And I said, okay, mom, you know, I believe that this is good for us because my parents were going through a divorce. My dad had married someone that I went to high school with, and he ended up molesting her children. Uh And I stayed with my mom, but the thing was my son had fallen on the heater, and I had to rush him to the hospital. And the doctors was like, well, you know, that's good. You have to keep an eye on your son because these things do happen. And so my mom used that story against me, and she called Child Protective Services on me. So I was in the home for not even two days when the Child Protective Services had come, and the police was at the door with the Child Protective Services, and they said, are you Ira Jacobson? I said, yes. And they said, could you step back inside the house, ma'am? And I did. And then they did this investigation or whatever, and they checked my children. My children were in the other room crying and screaming. And they said, well, we're going to leave your children with your mom, but you have to go. And I said, I'm not leaving my children here. And I said, I was abused in this home as a child. And they said, well, that has nothing to do with us. You are abusing your child. I said, no, I'm not abusing my children. I'm working three jobs to take care of my kids. And so they didn't care anything about that. So they left my children in the home with my mom and they kicked me out. So here was, I had nowhere to go because I had given up my place and my car. So I had nowhere to go. And so I'm living on the street and then I was gang raped while pregnant with the third son. Oh gosh, that is horrible. As if the situation from your father and all that trauma wasn't bad enough. Now you're dealing with sexual trauma from the gang rape. Yeah, a lady had found me on the side of a dumpster. I was a bloody mess. Oh, man. They found the guys. I was gang raped by five guys. Hmm. I think most of us would say, okay, that really is just too much. I mean, how can someone endure all of this? But then you got some news that broke you. What was that? Yeah, and after I had left Ben Top Hospital in Houston, Texas, 
they told me to come back because, you know, you have to do your blood work and stuff just to make sure you're okay. And I remember going into the room and the nurse, she said, Miss Jacobs, could you sit here on this table? She said, the doctor would be and I noticed that her countenance was different on her face. And I asked her, I said, is everything okay? She patted me on the leg and she said, the doctor will be right in to talk to you. And then I said, okay. And so the doctor comes in and he was like, well, you know, Ms. Jacobs, I'm just going to get right to the point and I'm not going to beat around. I said, well, doc, tell me what's wrong. And he said, well, we got your blood work back and it says, you know, that you have AIDS. And I, I lost it. I remember just tearing up the whole room. I was devastated. That is really, really bad. That must have left you feeling like life is just so unfair. But I understand that faith in Christ help you to even overcome all of this. Ira, let's stop here. I want to have you back on our next show and hear what happened next. We'll have you back on our next show. Okay. Hang on. I know this is heavy, but I want to analyze this more with you right after the break. Hey guys, it's me again. Let me be real and upfront with you. People are calling in and getting saved and set free by the power of the gospel that is preached on this show through powerful testimonies. I remember one night I was working the phones and a man in about his 30s called in. He was a business owner who was addicted to cocaine and he was living in California. He said he was driving and he heard our show about a former drug addict and he felt convicted that he wasn't living his life right and he gave his life to Jesus that very night. To me, this is a powerful reminder that God is moving through this real and raw show to touch the lives of others. Will you help us reach other cities all across America? You may be able to donate maybe $5 a month, maybe $10, some of you $25, maybe more. Anything helps. Help us to spread the gospel to America as we are believing for a great harvest of souls for the kingdom of God in this time and in this era. But we can't do it without you. Don't just sit there. Go to AwakeningTheNations.com and join the movement to get these testimonies to help others. More real life starts now. Welcome back to the show. We're going to go deeper into what you just heard. So what do you think about this? Now, I know in our last show, I talked about that there's still hope for Ira. And you can see it really looked like there was no hope. From losing her children to being gang raped and then finding out she has a disease resulting in all of this. I mean, it just really looks unfair. Like there's no hope. But can I tell you, for the person who's listening to this story, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what has happened, there's always hope. You're listening to Ira's story of how bad life can be with or without God. Now, in this time, she was living a life that has been alienated from God. She didn't have a deep revelation of who God was. Where she's living a life of promiscuity after she had her child, she was simply looking for love in all the wrong places. She simply wasn't equipped for this world. There were a lot of consequences happening in her life. She didn't know God. She didn't know who to turn to. So she turned to cutting herself. Think about this. Look at all the trauma. Even with help from the government and removing her from that horrible situation. Without God, that trauma followed her. And there was no other way to deal with the pain inside except for toying with the idea of ending her own life. She didn't know her purpose. She didn't know why the things were happening. She was in an emotional chaos. And who can blame her? I would be a complete wreck. But when you know God, you have Christ in your life, these verses become alive to you. And it's written in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Friend, when you know the Lord and you really know Him, 
you will know that he has a future for you no matter what bad things happen. And if you know God and know that he has a plan for your future, he has the plans for the healing of your past as well. And therefore, there's true hope. Because no person, no professional can bring the amount of healing and planning that was needed in Ira's life. I mean, incest, sexual abuse, rejection, being abandoned, betrayal, then gang raped. What professional is going to heal all of that? It will take four lifetimes, but not so with God. See, with God it's written in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this is a verse that Jesus says about the salvation of the rich man's soul. But look deeper into what Jesus is saying. That there's a lot of things that are impossible with man, but those impossible things are possible with God. And I believe it's all of everything that is possible with God. So, Father God, I'm praying for the person who is hearing this story and maybe in their heart and their mind, they've been like, gosh, it's impossible for God to heal me or it's too late or I can never know the Lord. Lord Jesus, we turn away from those thoughts. Lord Jesus, we receive you into our lives and we need the God of the impossible to be living within us. So we receive you right now for the person who's never done that. We receive you, Lord, and we ask for you to change your lives. In Jesus' mighty name, whenever you think there's no hope, know and trust with God there is much hope. I hope you're blessed by this testimony, and I know that your life was touched. If you want to know more about us or to make a tax-deductible donation, please check us out at AwakeningTheNations.com. That's AwakeningTheNations.com. See you next time.